Hi, you're listening to Koldodi Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Join us in person for our weekly Shabbat services every Saturday at 11 a.m. We meet at 3534 West End Avenue in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website at koldodi.org or follow us on Facebook and watch us live at facebook.com forward slash Nashville. And now, here's Rabbi Ken's latest message. This is the traditional prayer, and it's done on Tisha B'Av. We'll, we'll teach about it a little today. He who blessed our forefathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, may he bless the fighters of the Israel Defense Forces who stand guard over the land and the cities of our God, from the border of the Lebanon to the desert of Egypt, and from the great sea unto the approach of the Aravah, on the land, in the air, and on the sea. May the Almighty cause the enemies who rise up against us to be struck down before them. May the Holy One, blessed is He, preserve and rescue our fighters from every trouble and distress and from every plague and illness. And may He send blessing and success in their every endeavor. May He lead our enemies under our soldiers' sway, and may He grant them salvation and a crown them with victory. And may there be fulfilled for them the verse, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you to battle your enemies for you to save you. Now let us respond. Amen. Amen. If you want to turn anywhere in the scriptures, it would be uh, Lamentations, the book of Lamentations, where depending on what translation you're using, it's, it's in the writings in the uh, TLV version or the complete Jewish Bible uh, version. And, uh, but otherwise it would be probably near the... I think in the prophets, in the, uh, <clears throat> in the uh, typical Christian version, but it is in the writings. Father, we pray you open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. Speak to us now and teach us. Speak to us, Lord, from, in this holiday, Lord, as we prepare with our people and just unite with our people worldwide. Uh, Lord, it's considered a minor holiday, but it's a time, another opportunity for us to join with our people worldwide, Lord, as we remember the, the destruction of the temples and the things that happened in Jewish life. We pray your spirit would give application to us as believers, as followers of Yeshua, and as a part of our people, Israel, Lord, whether Jewish or Gentile, Lord, as one body in Messiah, as part of our people, the Jewish people, in Yeshua's name. Amen. Will something disastrous take place in our world next week? Tisha B'Av, the ninth of the Hebrew month of Av, Disaster, devastation, disillusionment, catastrophe, Tisha B'Av will be observed this coming Wednesday evening, July 26, and the next day, of course. Uh, According to Jewish tradition, historically, aside from the destruction of both first and second temples, Jerusalem temples, which is the main focus of commemoration on this day, Massacres, expulsions, pogroms, and other national disasters for the Jewish people have clustered disproportionately on or near this date. So it's an interesting holiday. It's considered a minor holiday, but it's a 
holiday. Uh, it's a, an observance in Jewish life. It's considered the saddest day on the Jewish calendar, really, the saddest day. So Jeremiah 8.19 says this, Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, listen, the sound of the cry of the daughter of my people. This is Jeremiah speaking, but God really through Jeremiah. Is the Lord, is Adonai no longer in Zion? Is her king, is her king no longer in her? This deals with this issue of grief, doesn't it? And how we handle it and what happens and how, what we deal with. For chapter 8, verses 22 and 23 of Jeremiah, is there no balm in Gilead? Maybe you've heard these verses before. I hadn't thought of them in a while. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Then why has no healing gone up for the daughter of my people? If only my head were water and my eyes a fountain of tears, then I would weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Wow, that's a lot of tears, Jeremiah says. Question, how many tears have we spilled? Have you spilled, have I spilled, over losing those we love? Over seeing what we love destroyed? Did you know that the Lord is collecting them? You counted my periods. This is the he, he, actually Hebrew translation. I looked up the words. You counted doesn't say my wanderings. It really says my periods of isolation. God is counting. You counted my periods of isolation. You put my tears in your bottle, your wineskin. Are they not in your sefer, your book? Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries, a friend of mine, he says, said this, said, Tisha B'Av is a reminder of the tears we shed because of the destruction of what we love. Let's look forward to the day when there will be no more tears and that Jesus the Messiah and Prince of Peace will one day reign in his rightful place as king. And think about it. It says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. Where is that in the Bible? Who knows? Revelation 21, verse 4. According to Jewish sources, there's a lot of catastrophes, and the seven major ones that they say have occurred, that occurred on this day of Tisha B'Av, list are these. The ten spies returning from, uh, from the you know, spying out the land of Canaan, Canaan, with an evil or, or bad report to Moses, and they refused to enter the land. According to the, again, calculations, 1313 B.C. or B.C.E., and it forced that entire generation to wander for 40 years and die in the wilderness. That's in Numbers chapter 14. Number two, the first temple destroyed in 421 B.C.E., the uh, by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. 100,000 Jews killed during the invasion, exile of remaining tribes in southern kingdom to Babylon and Persia. And then the second temple, number three, the second temple in 70 CE or, or AD 70, whichever calculation you want to use. The second by the Romans under Titus, over two and a half million Jews died 
as a result of war, famine, and disease. Then over a million Jews exiled to all parts of the Roman Empire. That's the major focus on the holiday, those two, the temples, destruction, and really that, that second one, the last one. Then in uh, another one, the, in 1095, the first crusade declared by Pope Urban the second, 10,000 Jews killed in the first month, thousands of Jews in, obliterating in many communities in Rhi- the Rhineland and France. 1290, Jews were expelled from England. So the expulsion from not only France or the, the crusade in Spain, uh, France, but then the expulsion from England with pogroms. Then the Inquisition in Spain and the expulsion of the Jews from the Iberian Peninsula in 1492. Many died, many were families separated. And then lastly, the world wars, according again, this is Jewish tradition, and what is said that both world wars began on this date. Now, I don't know if it's accurate or not, but this is what Jewish sources say. Both world wars began. 1914, morning of August 1st, Germany declared war on Russia, and that afternoon Russia declared war on Germany, and with that, War in Germany, Russia declares war on its own Jews with Jews with massive deportations, more than 300,000 Jewish civilian deaths. 1942, World War II, deportations from the Warsaw Ghetto to Treblinka, to Treblinka, where I know I had relatives parish, in concentra- the concentration camp began. In just 15 months, the Nazis murdered about 870,000 Jews. So, of course, as I said, the primary focus is the destruction of the, God's Bet HaMikdash, the temple, both first and second temples. Now, Yeshua predicted the second temple's destruction when he was here. I don't know if you re- realize that or remember that. Mark 13, let me mention a few verses. In, he says, it says, as Yeshua was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what stones, what stones and what buildings... How many have seen the temple in Jerusalem? Or the, the, not the temple, but the temple surroundings, the remains, and been into the, the, the wall surrounding the temple, the Kotel. How many have been there? Okay, and so you know that stones, how large they are. When they see, look at these stones, he said, the great buildings, not one stone, Yeshua said, what, Yeshua said to him, you see these great buildings, not one stone here will be left upon another. Everyone will be torn down. So he predicted it. He knew it would happen. And he was in tears, we, we see when predicting it, in Luke 19, verses 41 through 44. As he drew near and he saw Jerusalem, he wept over her, saying, If only you had recognized this day the things that lead to shalom. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will surround you with barricades and hem you in on all sides, and they will smash you to the ground you and your children within you. He saw this calamity coming. And they won't leave within you one stone upon another. You know, when you, and anyone knows in archaeology in Jerusalem, there's just layers of civilizations and, and all the, all the, of all the destruction. They won't leave one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. So what broke his heart, of course, was mostly was not only the physical pain, but the that separation from God, that they didn't recognize his, wouldn't, wasn't, weren't turning to the Lord and recognizing the, 
the Messiah had come. But it's futile to attempt to distance God from tragedy and suffering and to, to attempt to convince ourselves that he has nothing to do with it. For we can't avoid the fact that the Scriptures declare, God says, I form light and create darkness. I make shalom and create evil. I, Adonai, do these things. Isaiah 45, verse 7. Nor is the answer distancing ourselves. Now he uses, of course, the adversary to do it, but he's still on top of it. Nor is the answer distancing ourselves from God and becoming bitter and hardened as a result. People who detach God from their suffering end up either with no faith or with an insipid superficial faith. It's a phony faith. It's not real. It's it's very shallow. People who engage and embrace God in their suffering end up with a strong, saturated faith. In other words, a clear faith versus a cloudy faith. It's not a tidy faith. It's It's not absent of doubt or thoughts of despair, but it's actually a tested non-judgmental faith. It's messy and it's unorthodox, but it's ultimately supernaturally victorious. It's the trust faith of our Messiah Yeshua, the suffering servant Messiah, Avdi, Avdi, my servant, God says in Isaiah 52, 11 through 53, 12. It's not a syrupy, skin-deep faith, but one that's rooted in struggle and conflict. So I hope you hear what I'm saying. True faith, an authentic faith in our Lord comes through dealing with suffering, confronting God in our suffering, and not running from Him. And we all are tempted to. I loved, there was, I think, the most powerful class for us, my wife and I at the Messiah Conference was Melissa's, Melissa Brown's testimony and story sharing of what she went through in losing her mom to cancer and, uh, and wrestling with what she had to wrestle through with, you know, people saying God is going to heal her and, and her believing. Listen, our faith is an identification. I want to talk about that. It's a trust faith of our Messiah, and it's, a, it's his faith. Now, how could God allow this? And think about what our people and what you have gone through and what people around you and people are, you're going to help, try to help, have gone through. How could, say, asking that question in, these, in suffering and in these, in, I don't want to use the term tragedy every time since I read Rabbi Sachs of England saying, don't use God, you know, the word isn't in the Bible. I love it. So, but devastation and crisis and uh, affliction how, how could God allow this? This is the question the writer of Echa, let's say Echa, if you would with me. Echa, it's the word for lamentations. It's the book of the scroll of lamentations. It's the Hebrew name for the book. Ostensibly, Jeremiah is the writer. He asks in his opening word of the book, Lamentations 1.1, Echa. How? Echa, let's say it again. Echa. How? The first word of the scroll. How lonely sits the city once so full of people. How lonely sits the city. 
full of, full of people. A statement which is simultaneously a question. How? How sad? How could this have happened? Disaster, defeat, total shift in life. The city full of people. He sees it full now of people, though it no longer is. 2 Samuel 1, verses 25 and 27, David says, How the mighty have fallen. Ech naflu giborim. How the mighty have fallen. A sad statement of observation when he's talking about, you know, I think of Saul there, and, you know, he's, he's not rejoicing at Saul's fall, fall. He's saying how sad that he turned from God that he, and, and it happened. Look how they've fallen. But also a question, how could this have happened? And it can also translate where? Echa, where? Where are you, God? Was the suffering due to Israel's sin? I've mentioned this before. Prisoners in communist prisons for their faith and testimony felt that God was punishing them for their sins. Wormbrandt, writing from prison, wrote, I have never known a man worse than me. The one who can set, who can set me free prefers to keep me in prison as a punishment for my transgression. Samson, Shimshon, Samson, was in prison because he had sinned although the Philistines had jailed him because of his noble fight for the Mosaic cause. I am a sinner, but I know that if I accept my punishment with wholehearted humility, my strength will grow. Like Samson's hair grew and strength grew, right? That's the way he looked at it when he was in for 14 years. We don't know why God allows us to undergo suffering. And tragedy, I'll just use the word. Jacob suffers for his rebellion. Joseph suffers for his obedience. Solomon suffers for his sinful choices. Daniel suffers for, right, his, for righteous choices. David is an enigma. He suffers for both at different times. Job, Esther, Abraham, Sarah, Peter, Paul, Mary. I know. <laughs> Let's start singing. Is the chastisement, which really in the, in the Greek means in Hebrews 12, education. It, is it due to sin? Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11. Is it due to sin or for training in righteous character to prepare us for the future? Or for both. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, the chastening or discipline of, the, of Adonai, my son, do not despise nor detest or dread his correction. For whom Adonai loves, he corrects, reproves. Remember, he loves you. That's why he's doing it. And just as a father, the son in whom he delights, the son, of course, or daughter in whom he delights. We interpret affliction and suffering and disaster as displeasure and dissatisfaction 
from God's hand. And by the way, if you see that toward yourself that way, you'll be very judgmental of other people too and start to do it and be judgmental and, and do that with others and you'll be harsh with others. So you need to get a right focus and get corrected, I should say, so that you'll, and then you'll be much more forgiving and gracious with others and you'll be able to be more useful in God, to God to help others. We interpret it as displeasure and dissatisfaction from God's hand when, in fact, it's just the opposite. Whom he loves, he corrects. He's interested in you. He wants your betterment. He's doing it for a reason. And Hebrews 12 is really in a midrash on Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. Job 5, verses 17 and 18 says, Behold, happy is the one whom God corrects. So do not despise the discipline of Shaddai of the Almighty. For he inflicts pain, but he also binds up. He injures. He injures. Yet his hands also heal. Or how about Psalm 119.71? It is good for me. Not bad for me. It is, let's say it, it is good for me. Good for me that I have been afflicted. Let's say it. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. And the rest is, in order that I might learn thy statutes. 119.71. Who said it first? I don't know, but no pain, no what? No gain. That's right. Pain, God sends, is good. Divine chastisement through afflictions are of greater benefit than success and wealth because they purify and they cleanse from sin, increasing one's reward in the kingdom to come. And here's, if you get nothing else, this is, this is what I want to give you today. I believe that all suffering and all heartache, all pain and trials, all affliction and all agony are a mixture a mixture of antagonistic warfare between kingdoms, discipline for our sin, innocent identification with our Messiah, preparation for our future reign with Him, and mystery. Satanic persecution, divine chastening, and messianic identification. I repeat, satanic, a combination, a blend, a mixture. Satanic persecution, divine chastening, and messianic identification, our identification with him. Adversarial attack, adversarial attack, parental correction, and unification with Yeshua, or sharing, in other words, sharing in his sufferings. Have you ever read the verse Paul says in First Corinth, uh, rather Colossians one twenty four? Have you heard this verse? Wow, I fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Messiah. Wow, is there mystery in that or what? And beyond all, it is there is mystery. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways. God says what? Higher than your ways, and my, what? My thoughts than your thoughts, my feeble thoughts. Who can imagine 
Who can under, think that I can understand God's ways? Who can think that I can? In Romans chapter, the end of Romans chapter 11 says that. Who can fathom, think that I can imagine, think that I can understand God's ways? Welcome it rather than despise it because he loves, not hates us. In order to direct, and that's, by the way, Isaiah 55, verse 9, I didn't quote the reference. In order to direct us in the right path and to prevent us from going in the wrong one. Cherish suffering. Cherish suffering. The greater the suffering, the greater one is trusted and loved by his or her heavenly Father. Don't believe it? Hosea 6.1, come and let us return to Adonai, God says to Israel. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has smitten, but he will bind us up. In the heart of Lamentations, we have one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture, indeed in all poetic literature, in verses, chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. This I recall to mind. He says, therefore, I have hope. I expect progress. Yachal. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. His rachamim, his maternal mercy that protects us from harm. They are new every morning. Chadashim karim. They're new every morning. Levakarim. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, right? Let's say it. Great is your faithfulness. Yes. Rabba emunatecha. Great is your faithfulness. Right in the heart of, Lament, of that dismal, dismal book is this amazing passage. And 519 of Lamentations says, You, Adonai, are enthroned forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Though they were in a horrible state, due to their sin, verse 16, the Lord says he's still on the throne. He's still in control. Generation to generation. God is on the throne despite what things look and feel like in your life. He's still ruling. And verse 20 of chapter 5, the end of the last chapter of the book, why do you always forget us and forsake us for so long? Wait a minute, just said God is on the throne, now he goes back to, but I'm still upset with you, God. I have questions. I don't think you're fair. I don't think you're sensible. Now verse 21, bring us back to you, Adonai. Hashivenu, Adonai. Let's say Hashivenu. Hashivenu, Adonai. Hashivenu, bring us back, Lord, Alecha, bring us back to you, Lord, and we will return, Venashuv, and we will return, renew our days as of old. Shuv means to turn, to move backwards. You got to move backwards to go forwards. Okay, I need your help. I can't do it myself. It's not in me. It's not even in me anymore. I can't do it. You have to do it. You have to take the initiative. I love that. It's not in my power to come to God. You have to do it. The goodness, the kindness of God leads me to repentance in Romans 2, 4. And so Lamentations ends with a question, with an unresolved relational struggle. In verse 22, he says, unless you have 
utterly rejected us and are exceedingly angry with, with us. And that's the end. Ends with a question, with something unresolved. Ki'im. Ki'im, for if you totally despise and are angry with us very much, we're in limbo. Are you angry with us? Is it our fault? And this is the reality for us. We have promises of hope, like chapter 3, amazing promises that we can count upon. And yet we still live with, with question marks. And that's okay. And I said this last, last time, I'll say it again. Verses 19 through 21 almost sounds bipolar. He's up and then he's down. Exalting God, then accusing God. Optimistically imploring God's help, but then sink, sinking into potential defeatism. Do we have to have all the answers here, this side of heaven, to ha in order to have faith? I choose to have a faith without all the answers. For me personally, I don't know about you. I choose with my fellow heroes of faith and Richard, Pastor Richard Wurmbrandt to, as he said, quote, to believe that he is love, although at this moment I feel nothing of his love. Perhaps I'm saying at certain times. I choose to believe in its expression in a sacrifice 2,000 years ago. And then he said, I will not leave him nor deny him, even if he leave me. That always blows me away. He won't leave you. I don't believe, I don't believe he ever will leave me. I believe the scriptures so clearly on that. But even if he did, he says, I won't leave him. <laughs> that blows me away. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Isaiah 30, verse 15. Why don't you say it with me if you would? In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. Isaiah 30, verse 15. I always quote the references because then you can always find it again, right? Easy to find. That's the, I, my mentor taught, taught me that, did that. Father, we thank you. <clears throat> thank you, Lord. We praise you. For Tisha B'Av, Lord, for this holiday that gives occasion for us to think about these themes and to come to you and grow in you and learn from you. And we thank you, Lord. We, we uh, identify with our people, Lord, throughout the world as they deal with historically the, the tragedies, the, the afflictions, the, the heartaches of, of losing what we love. And we, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, for your carrying us in the times when we can't carry ourselves. We thank you, O oh God, for your word that keeps us throughout everything. We love you and we praise you. If you've never trusted Yeshua, that sacrifice 2,000 years ago was for you, included you in it. His sacrifice on the tree, he bore your sin you saw, maybe you saw that you were here, if you were here earlier, you saw that beautiful man, that man praying right on his, before, you know, he's with the Lord now, praying to receive Yeshua. 
You can do that. You need to do it. You don't know when your day comes. You never know. We never know if we have tomorrow. Lord, save me. Lord, forgive me. Wash me. Give me a new start. Thank you for that sacrifice, Yeshua, Jesus. You did for me. You're, trust him. Give your life to the Lord and let us know. There'll be some folks pray, up here ready to pray with you afterwards to agree with you, seal that decision, help you get started in your new walk with the Lord. If you're watching online, contact us and we'll contact you back. Praise the Lord. It's a new start and it's what, what, nothing better than receiving the Lord, having your name written in the book of life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In the name of our Messiah, Yeshua, the ruler of peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.